morning. Let's pray before we get started. Father, you are God, you are King. Give us humility. Let's be humble before you this morning. As we open your word, we learn your truth. Do you reveal to us, Lord, let us recognize that you're God and we're just men and women and that we should listen to you. Starting with me, Lord, let us be moved by your word. Love you, Lord. I pray you'd be with all those who can't be here today, all those who are sick. It's a cold going around, plus all the other stuff that's been going around for a while. There are people who are suffering. There are people who have lost loved ones. Uh, as you know, my wife lost her grandfather last week, Lord, and I pray you'd be with that family. I pray you'd be with uh, all the families in this church. There's so many, so many things that our prayer is needed for, Lord, but you are, you're good. We go through the storm, but we have the rock. We thank you, Lord, for that. In your name, amen. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's my story. This, this verse is my story. I am the chief of sinners. And I know that we like to play nice, especially on Mother's Day, right? We like to play nice. We don't like to talk about things that aren't nice in our culture. My mom used to always say if someone did something that maybe smelled bad or something, she said, we don't talk about smells. We don't talk about that. We, want, we need to be nice. I get it. We're supposed to be nice. But if you've been together with this body of believers for long, you already know that I don't play nice. Um, and, and there's a reason why. Because nice isn't always true. Nice isn't always true. Uh, nice isn't going to get us where we need to go a lot of the time. The fact is that I'm a sinner. I'm not a person who has just made a few mistakes and uh, they're really kind of by accident. What I just really need is kind of that 1950s sitcom. I need an ice cream and my dad to tell me that I need to be a nicer fella and everything's going to work out. That's not the kind of sin that's been in my life. I'm a real sinner. That was a disaster. Sexually immoral, a liar, a thief, had outbursts of anger, was a manipulator, was dishonest. I was even a lawyer. <laughs> I was a gossip. I was a drunk. I was a drug user. I was prideful, arrogant, vain, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. These are just the ones I remember offhand. Just being honest with you. It's no joke. I was a disaster. I was thinking about why I became a pastor this week. <laughs> Sometimes I have to think about why I became a pastor. <laughs> it's a thought that comes to my mind from time. Actually, that's not why I was thinking. It wasn't, wasn't any of your fault. Um, just thinking about it. Like, why do, why do people go into the ministry? Obviously, I had a calling, right? I had a calling to this type of service because God called me to serve you. And I want to do that. But I was thinking about why... And what did I feel? I'm going to let you guys get that figured out. We good? Good? Okay. Why did I feel that call? What has led me to all of this? And so I sort of, I wrote down why. And what I wrote down was this. I'm a pastor because I'm a Christ follower who loves Jesus and is amazed and floored that God saved me. That's it. That's it. I'm thankful to God 
like a person in the desert who's about to die of thirst is thankful when someone hands them a glass of water. That's the kind of need that I was in, and that's the kind of hope that God gave me. I'm thankful beyond what I can describe. We're going to read out of Luke. There's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one at home, that's our gift to you. Take one of those Bibles home. Um, it's a nice Bible, and uh, we want you to have it if you don't have a good Bible at home, or if yours is broken, as I've said before. Um, and that may be why you haven't been reading it. It's broken. Take one of these ones. They're all, they're all fixed. They work. So um, we're going to be in Luke 7, 36 through 50. Let's do a little reading. All right. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, this is the Pharisee Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Always dangerous with Jesus. <laughs> Says there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Do you need me to use a different mic? No? Okay. Just getting a lot of feedback up here. Ruining my story. Uh, rightly judged. It's not my story. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I am like this woman. I, I relate with her so well. This is who I am. This is who I have been. I have been forgiven much, and I love much. Why am I a pastor? Why have God told me right now, go to Africa and be a missionary or go die for me? I believe I would do it because I've been forgiven much, and I love much. It's important that you understand all this about me in case you ever get the notion that when I teach the Bible, I think it doesn't apply to me and my sin. Uh, it does. The scriptures are pushing on me and calling me out as much or more than probably they are pushing on you and calling you out. The scriptures are coming up against me just like they're coming up against you. I want you to experience the whole verse I read at the beginning. This is a faithful saying and worthy all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
the Messiah, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. It's what I want for you. It's what I've experienced because I'm no longer those things I listed earlier because I've been washed with the blood of Jesus. Not because of me, because of Jesus. Because he died for me, paid for my sins, and rose again, defeating death and sin and hell. I'm washed with the blood of the Lamb, cleansed and forgiven and free from fear of death. I'm free from any fear of separation from him. That's who I am. If you want to know who I am, I'm a sinner who's been saved. And it's an amazing thing. The other reason I believe I was called to be a pastor is because I just, I love truth. I just love it. I love, I, probably because I love the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, the righteous, right? He is the truth. I remember after God showed me what his mercy looked like and showed me grace and brought me from that, honestly, that pit of despair that was going into hell of what my life was and who I was. And when he showed me that, he showed me his grace. It was not long after that that he gave me this intense hunger and thirst for truth and righteousness. I just wanted truth. I love to think about it. I love to teach it. I love to learn it. I love truth. Here's the thing. There's a hard thing about truth. It can be very uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. And sometimes we have to choose. This is a choice that we have to make. And I think we have to make it a lot in life. We have to choose between hearing what is true and hearing what makes us feel better. The truth does not always feel good. Sometimes it does. People tell me I'm incredibly handsome. It's true, and it makes me feel good. My mom says I am. Um, the truth doesn't always feel good, especially when you first hear it sometimes, and especially if it corrects you or pushes against your ideas or your actions or your worldview. The truth can be kind of rough. That's one, Jew. Just kidding. Poor <laughs> Julie, she's probably really nervous about kidding you, Julie. Uh, we've been talking about white lies in our culture, right? And we've been talking about white lies among people who call themselves Christians. One of the things that we have seen is that those who generally go by the term progressive Christian, and let's, once again, I'm going to say this because every week I have to say this. Progressive Christian has nothing to do with progressive politics, okay? They're the same word, but they have totally different meanings. A progressive Christian is not necessarily progressive politically or conservative politically or whatever. It has to do with their view on the Bible, their view, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, just so that we're clear, okay? But progressive Christians, it seems like they like to have their ears tickled. And here, not literally. I have no, maybe they do. I don't know, but that's not what I, I don't mean literally. <laughs> everybody's just, yeah, that's what they do at church. They're just like, everybody's next to their name. I don't know. The teachings they like end up putting them in a position to feel like they don't have to change much. In fact, it seems like the teachings they like to listen to tell them that they don't have to change anything at all that they don't want to change. And they get to fit in with the culture and the world because they listen to teachers who tell them that no one needs to change. This is a false message. And it's a spiritually dead message. But you see it all the time. 
Here's some meme quotes I found. Okay, so these are the kind of quotes that you might find on Facebook or an Instagram feed. You know Dan, your Instagram feed. Yeah. You guys should check out his Insta. It is off the hook. Is that a still thing people say? I don't know. Anyway, that's, you know, you're saying, yeah, you don't have an Insta either. You're right. I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, you know, you got the words and there's like a picture. It's a quote, okay? There's some of the quotes that I read. Don't let anyone tell you you're not good enough because you're perfect just the way you are. Next, you are perfect exactly as you are. There's no need to change anything except the thoughts that you aren't good enough. Next, you're perfect exactly as you are with all your flaws and problems. There's no need to change anything. All you need to change is the thought that you have to change. It's like, you know, I was wrong once because I thought I was wrong, but I was actually right type of thing. You can take a minute with that one. Here's one that mentions God. It says, hate yourself? Just remember the creator of the universe and everything within it designs you to be the way you are. You're perfect. Now, let me tell you something. I don't want anyone to hate himself or herself. You should not do that. I understand and completely agree that we should help people understand their value. They are so valuable. You, listen, you are so valuable. So valuable. You were made in the image and likeness of God. God loves you. The creator of the universe loves you. All of that is true. You should know that. You ought to know that. Your value. That is a very different thing than saying that there's nothing that you need to change and that you're perfect right now. The one is truth. You're incredibly valuable. The other is a horrific lie. Anyone telling you that you were perfect and that God designed you to be the way you are living right now is either selling you something or just lying to you. You are not perfect the way you are. Welcome to Acts Church. You're not. God didn't design you to be the way you are. You're a sinner in need of a savior. You need the forgiveness and saving grace of Jesus Christ. You would not need Jesus if you were perfect. If you were actually living the way God designed you, you would not need Jesus. But you're not perfect and you don't live like that. We are fallen. The world is fallen. It's a tragedy. And it's us who are to blame. We have sinned and rebelled against God. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Doesn't leave any room for anybody who didn't. The only one who has ever not sinned is Jesus Christ. But he's all God and all man. But we can be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it says. For the wages of sin is death. We've all, we've all sinned. And the price that we've got to pay for that is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. We're not perfect. We're sinners deserving of death who can be saved by believing on Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives and believing that God raised him from the dead. Listen, Romans 10, 9, same book. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're not perfect just the way we are. We are in ruins. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Just watch the news. Just look in your own heart. We're not the way God designed us. We have been conformed to the world. And the one who's running around this world causing trouble is not God, it's Satan. We've been conformed to the world. And it's brokenness. The brokenness of the fallen world. Some of it's been by our own choices. Some of it's been by the brokenness of others and things that have been done to us. 
In both cases, it's broken us, conformed us, and caused trouble for us. Our hope is to be transformed into who God designed us to be by a process that God does in us. Transformed. In other words, we're not the way we're supposed to be. We need to be transformed. And God does that work. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It does not say, being confident of this very thing, that you're perfect and no work needs to be done for you. It doesn't say that. There's work that needs to be done. And that work is transformation. It's transformative. Now, if I want to transform a piece of steel, I got a raw piece of steel, ugly, kind of gnarly piece of steel, and I want to make that into a sword. Okay, because I'm some kind of Lord of the Rings nerd or something, which I am. The process is not going to be very fun for the piece of steel. It's not going to be a fun process, okay? It gets melted, right? You put it in the fire, and you're blowing the, then it gets hot, and you pull it out, it's all red, and you're, you're beating on it, right, with a hammer, and sparks are flying, things are coming off of it, and it's super hot, and then into the water, and oh, this piece of steel feels good for a second, and they're like, no, back in the fire. And then they're beating on it again, right? It's not fun for the piece of steel. And in fact, the sharper you want that sword, the more you're going to have to shave off. The more you're going to have to beat it. The more you're going to have to polish it and rub it. For the sword, transformation can feel very difficult. Very, very difficult. Transformation is not easy. It's metamorphosis. Changing from one thing to another. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen to what God reveals to us in the scriptures in Romans 12. This is 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice and fun are not normally words that go together. Sacrifice is difficult. No one's like, hey, that's sacrifice. That was fun. Remember how we're sacrificing? Whatever it is you're sacrificing normally means you want it and you have to give it up. We want some things that we have to give up because we're not perfect. We have to present to God all the things that we want to do, all the things that we think are true about how we live, about how we treat people, how we think about money, how we think about sex, how we think about God, how we think about work, how we think about everything. All of it has to be laid down before God that he might transform us. They're all submitted to God as a sacrifice for him to take and transform we're not to have any of these things be conformed to the world. The world has a way of thinking about how we live and treat people and money and sex and God and work and everything else. That has a way of doing that. We've got to take that because that's what we've been beaten into conformity on. And we've got to put it before God and say, transform me. I may want this, but I need transformation. That's what it looks like. The world is broken and fallen. But we're rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By the power of the Holy Spirit who's in every believer. That's how it works. And he is helping us submit to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank God. Because we don't usually want to do it willingly. 
Now, here's the thing. You cannot believe what the scripture says and then go and tell people they're perfect just the way they are or that they're just as God designed them to be. They're not. And you know what? That's good news because it means they have hope of restoration and renewal and transformation. And just so you understand this with those memes, people don't really believe those things that they put in those memes. Okay? They don't really believe it when it comes right down to it. When I had clients, and I used to do um, a lot of kind of legal work with people who uh, struggle with some things. Let's put it that way. When I, have a, you know, I had a lot of clients who did things like they go and they break into a home. Oftentimes it was like their uncle's house or whoever, because they knew they weren't going to be home. They'd steal all their stuff. They'd go sell it and they'd buy drugs. Okay? When they came to me and they're like, yeah, I did it. This is what I do. I didn't say... You are perfect just the way you are. <laughs> With all your flaws and problems, there's no need to change anything. All you need to change is the thought that you have to change. I didn't say that. It's a lie. No one would tell a man who's beating his children or a woman who's abusing her grandmother, you are perfect exactly as you are. There's no need to change anything except the thoughts that you aren't good enough. You wouldn't say that. Because it's not true. It's nonsense. And here's the thing. Here's what I know, because I did serve these people and love these people. My drug-addicted criminal clients did not want to hear that they were perfect as they were. That would have sent them into a deep depression. They did want to hear they were valuable, by the way. They did want to hear that they were loved by God. But the idea that they were perfect as they were now would mean there was no hope for them to be transformed. And they were miserable. Hope comes from believing that redemption is possible. It comes from believing that redemption is possible. That change is possible. That our fallen world and our fallen selves can be saved and redeemed. Hope doesn't come from believing we're perfect now. What do you need to hope for if you're perfect now? We know we are broken. We know the world is broken. We want renewal and redemption and transformation. Look, Romans 8, 18 through 25. Just get in here. Take me a second. It's in the New Testament, Glenn, if you're looking for it. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> She's tougher than you. She'll be all right. <laughs> Romans 8, 18. All right, here we go. <laughs> We're not going to fight in the parking lot, Glenn. Don't, don't. I don't want to do that. Be transformed, my brother. Listen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Because we are suffering. There's a lot of suffering. Not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected in, subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the redemption, the redemption of our body. Amen? <laughs> for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You don't hope for the things you see. If you're already perfect, you got nothing to hope for. You got it all figured out. How's that working out for you? We have hope. That's the gospel. Not that you're okay. And everyone is okay and we're all perfect. Except for that one problem. Realizing that you're perfect. You need to make sure you realize it or else you're not perfect yet. You've got to realize that you're perfect. That's, that's insane. It's wildly absurd. It's false. It's not a white lie. It's a black lie from the pit of hell. It's the kind of lie that makes people justify themselves in their own wickedness and act like they don't need God. In fact, to act like they are their own God. You can't read the Bible honestly and with the power of the Holy Spirit and come away thinking it says you are perfect just as you are. You cannot read the Bible honestly and with the power of the Holy Spirit and believe that you are anything but broken and that your only hope in this world and the next is the love of God through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Now all of this goes to that third reason we discussed last week. Why so many folks that get, that get kind of confused and, and led into this progressive Christian falsehood and believe these white lies, they seem to do so because of issues that sort of involve teaching the real gospel. Issues of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. These aren't popular things to talk about. I don't know if you've realized that. Last week we dealt with the first two reasons that I think people go that way. One is the exclusivity of belief in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then we dealt with the problem of hell last week. How a loving God can judge the world and some people can be in hell. You can go back and look at that stuff. This week we've been building the case to deal with a third issue, which revolves around things like biblical sexual morality and other issues of behavior and the righteousness God has called us to sacrificially live out with those things. Here's the thing. I believe sometimes we want to be gracious. I'll give us that. And sometimes we want to be nice. I'll give us that. But I also believe that sometimes we want to avoid confrontation and difficulty and social embarrassment. And all of these things cause us to want to get along and go along when it comes to issues that God has spoken clearly about. When it comes to commands God has given us for our good. These are the things that involve the difficulty of transformation and change. These are the things that require deep and abiding faith to overcome. And of course, it's easy for us to pick the things that somebody else does and be real strong about those. Oh, these people that do this, boy, they need Jesus. Meanwhile, I'm drinking too much, not treating my wife the way she needs to be, you know, whatever it is, lying, stealing from my employer, whatever. But that person over there, oh man, they need it bad. Now, this is the stuff that pushes up against every one of us. It's hard to say to other people. It's hard to say to ourselves. Truth is tough. Transformation is tough. We avoid these issues if we can. But that's not loving. Love means we say what is true because God has said that it's true. And because we know that God is good, we know that what he says is good. So we say what is true because we love people. The Apostle Paul was in prison and brought before Felix to defend himself. You may remember this from the book of Acts. Later, Felix and his wife, who was a Jewish woman, came to chat with Paul. So he's, you know, 
he's imprisoned, right? And, he's, and he gives this kind of defense before Felix. And then Felix and his wife are like, let's go chat with Paul. This is what happened. Acts 24, 24 to 25. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Truth is rarely convenient. It rarely hits us when it's convenient. Felix didn't want to hear about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. We actually find out in the next verse what he really wanted was for Paul to offer him a bride. Righteousness. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come are not popular topics. They do not make people feel good. Sometimes the truth doesn't feel good. But Paul had to speak the truth. Now think about this. He was imprisoned, right? He didn't want to be imprisoned. Who wants to be imprisoned? He could have said, well, Felix is popular. Got a lot of friends. He's powerful, likely wealthy. Not only that, but he has the power to let me out of prison. Perhaps what I should say is that he's perfect just the way he is and that he should only be trying to realize how perfect he is and fix the fact that he doesn't think that he's perfect just the way he is. He'll like that. That would have been the easy thing to do. That would have made Paul popular with Felix and his buddies and maybe it would have gotten him out of prison. But Paul had to speak the truth and he paid the price. He paid the price. There is a cost in discipleship. There's a cost. Luke 9, 23 through 27. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says that if you desire to follow him, you have to deny yourself. Oof. I don't, I don't like you. I don't like denying myself. I like giving to myself. But he says you have to deny yourself. What kind of transformation will happen if we don't deny ourselves? None. You can't be transformed if you won't be sacrificial and if you won't deny yourself. How will transformation take place? Transformation happens when we make our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Because as Romans 12, 1 says, it's our reasonable service. It's only rational. God has literally saved you. He literally gave his life for you. What's the rational thing? Our lives are his. It's just rational. It just makes sense. Why am I his? Because he gave himself for me. We belong to him. He makes the rules, not us. It's one of the things we just got to get our heads around. As Western folks, as Americans, people from the United States, you don't make the rules. God does. He does. We follow him. And he promises that just as he has saved us, he'll transform us. He will make us new and be with us forever. But we have to pay the cost of discipleship if we want to be his disciples. If we want to be more and more like Jesus, it's going to hurt a little bit like that piece of steel. Because we aren't like him now. But hopefully we're becoming that way. That's hard. Listen, nobody wants to be the guy or the girl telling people they have to do the difficult thing. Nobody wants to be bad cop. 
Everybody wants to be a good cop. You have to pick up your cross daily. That's death. Everyone knew when he said pick up your cross what, what cross meant. They all knew what a Roman cross was. An excruciating, cruci, as in cross, that's where it comes from, excruciating way to die. Death. Difficult death. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's death to yourself. Death to your sin and your pride. Death to your desires to be popular that outweigh your desire to love God. It's a tough one. Death to your culturally created identities. Death to your rights. Death to your entitlements. Death to any other thing but being a Christ follower. Think about how much time you spend thinking about things other than being a Christ follower. Death, all that. What does it look like to honor God, to live in the Spirit all day, every day? That's what you're doing. And then as you humble yourself, Christ will build you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up, right? He'll build you up in the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming you so that you can be more and more and more and more like Him. And as Galatians 5, 22, 23 says, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would you like some of that? That's the good stuff. Surprise. You've got to gird your loins. Hike it up. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to hear truth, to speak truth, always in love, seasoned with salt. Don't let the temptation to have an easy life keep you from your first true love, Jesus Christ. Please hear that. We're all tempted to have an easy life. In fact, that's what we try to do. Don't let that get in the way of your first true love, Jesus. I love my wife and my children and my family. I've got lots of my family, my sister, my brother, my mom, my dad. And then there's like 500 people named David also here. <laughs> and I love all of you. And I would go to great lengths and pay a heavy cost for that love. I really would. But I must be willing to pay a heavy cost for the love of my life, Jesus Christ. What I see with those who move off into progressive Christianity is Christianity without the crosses. Without the crosses, okay? Without the cross of Christ, because it's unnecessary, because everyone is already perfect and they just need to realize they're perfect. And without the cross that we are to carry in following him, because what's hard about agreeing with the world and culture and everything they think? There's no cross. There's no picking up your cross in that. The Romans put people on crosses that disagreed with the culture, with them, with the powerful. That's our job. Speaking truth to power. More importantly, speaking truth to your neighbor. If you can't stand for what's right, first in your own life. Let me be really clear about this. When I talk about standing for what's right and standing for truth, it starts at home. It starts right here. Right here. You got to start in your own life. Your own hypocrisy and pride and sexual immorality and selfishness and gossip and drunkenness and whatever else you need to repent from. You've got to start at home. You have to be willing to be transformed rather than conform before you go out and preach the gospel. And make sure that you're willing, that God's working on you. 
Also, you need to stand for the gospel in the world. Speaking the gospel plainly. Standing up to say that there is a right and a wrong. And God has told us what they are. And people have gone wrong. And they need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to be saved. Do not buy into you're perfect the way you are. That's a lie. People have gone wrong. We have all gone wrong. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So is everyone else. We will not affirm things that God has said lead to judgment and death, neither in ourselves nor in anyone else, whatever those things are. Instead, we'll call people in love to the loving arms of Jesus to be saved by grace through faith, receiving salvation just as we received it, not by our works. Ain't no bragging about being in Jesus because it's all him. But to proclaim loudly that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Hear it. That's what he's here for. To save sinners of whom I am chief. But if that's not for you, it's too difficult. You're not willing to stand for the truth. You're not willing to stand for the gospel. You're not willing to have your life be maybe a little bit crazy. A little bit of an adventure. Difficult. Constantly having to, to see yourself transform, being hit. It hurts sometimes. Constantly having to go out to other people and speak the truth to them. And maybe they won't like you. I've had people leave. I've had people leave this church. They don't want to hear it. Breaks my heart. Because I love them. But I've got to deal with the rejection. Because they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the scripture. They're rejecting the one who gave us the scripture. And it breaks my heart. But I'm not going to take it personally. Not very personally. With the heart of humility, we have to speak the word of truth. But if it's not for you, you can't do the standing for truth thing for the gospel in all its glory and all its difficulty. Then you're not willing to pay the cost of discipleship. And you need to either ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to do that or recognize that Christianity is not for you. Because being a Christ follower is not easy, but it's glorious. God's not tame, but he's good. It's a fight, and it's a hard one. C.S. Lewis said this, for Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world and that space and time and heat and cold and all the colors and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on putting them right again. No, everybody's perfect. No, the world is perfect. No, the world is getting better and better. Nonsense. It's gone wrong. We've gone wrong. There's one hope in Jesus Christ. That's it. Progressive Christianity seems to give up the fight in the name of some so-called type of love that is not love. Affirm everything all the time for anybody. Christ followers must have more courage than that. More love. More kindness. More gentleness than that. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Speak the truth in love. If you need Jesus today, come to him. Ready to present your body a living sacrifice that you might be transformed rather than conformed. You don't want to be conformed to the world. You want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know it ain't working if you're not in Christ.
You know in your heart, it's not working. You need salvation. You know you're not perfect. You know this is true, what's being said. You gotta love God more than anything. And as you love him and walk with him, he will complete the work he's begun in you. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I love you. I'll lay down my life for you if God calls me to do so. But I will not stand here and lie to you. I don't like to have to tell people sometimes what the scripture says because truth can be so uncomfortable. But if I'm willing to die for you, I sure as heck better be willing to tell you the truth. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not obeying all the things he commanded, if you're changing the Bible to fit your lifestyle or your preferences, finding teachers who tickle your ears, tell you what you want to hear, then you're believing lies. You're believing lies. They may be comfortable. They may be easy. They may work for you for a time. But they're lies. And they're leading you to destruction and ultimately to hell. You're not perfect. Without God, your heart is not good. You do not need to just tell yourself you're all right and that you're good just as you are. You need to fall on your face before Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and follow him no matter what it costs you. That's what I had to do. And it has been glorious. Even if it costs your desires and your relationships and your bank account and your plans and anything else, no matter what it costs, he's worth it. He's your only hope. And you're going to be with him for eternity. Nothing else compares to that. Nothing. Turn to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, I just... We're sinners, Lord. We stand before you, humble, needing you, wanting you, desiring you. And Lord, with trepidation, maybe with a little fear, we come before you and we offer to you our bodies as a living sacrifice, recognizing that there's things that we want to do, things that we like, things that we think that you're going to change, that you're going to transform, that you're going to make that iron hot and then beat it and then sharpen it and you're going to change it. But we're willing to do it because we trust that you're good, that we don't have to hold on to the things that we think we have figured out, but that you'll do it for us. God, in me, do it. And those here who love you, do it. And those who need to come to you, do it. And those who are online, do it. And those who will listen to this later, do it. Do it again and do it again and do it again. And let us see people come to know you. Let us see the peace that surpasses understanding guarding their hearts and their minds in you, Jesus Christ. God, do a work right here and let it go like fire throughout the whole world. Jesus, we love you. We're here for you in life, in death, in whatever you call us to. Lord, let us be real Christ followers, real Christians. Be the most important thing to us, Lord. I love you. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray you'd call them to yourself today.